Father, we do pray that you would speak everything you want to speak into the hearts of all of our mothers today. We thank you for what you've already spoken. We pray, Lord, you fulfill your highest purposes now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, do, I want to start off by just mentioning 25 things that most moms say every day. Here they go. Number one, no. Just a minute. Go ask your dad. Where are your shoes? Give me back my phone. Did you flush? Did you wash your hands? Maybe later. Just eat it. Oh, really? Aren't you forgetting something? I have no idea what you just said. Get your finger out of there. Get that out of your mouth. Keep it down. Go poop. Go pee. Get down from there. Are you even listening to me? Fine. Go ahead. Just one more. I mean it this time. What are you doing in there? Stop whining. Mm-hmm. I love you. I tell you, I miss my mom uh, so much. There's so many things I miss about her. She had her special way of doing things. In fact, one of the things that she would do that always really uh, caught my uh, curiosity was she would start a book by reading the end of it first. She'd pick it up and she'd read the end. And I'd say, now, Mom, why are you reading the end first? She says, because I want to make sure it has a good ending before I take all the time to read it. I want to make sure it has a happy ending before I start it. Well, I think that's not only what uh, my mom always wanted. I think it's what most moms want. Most moms want to know that the story, particularly her story, is going to have a happy ending. A lot of you husbands out there, I think there's been several times, and you know this is true, that you found yourself not understanding what was going on, but putting your arms around your wife and simply saying, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And what we're saying when we do that is we're trying to assure our wife that this, this is going to have a happy ending. I don't know all that's going on. I don't know how it's going to work, but I believe it is going to be okay. I tell you, I can't think of any better thing for moms to hear on Mother's Day than to, than to know that your story, no matter where you are in your story, if you know God and you love him, that your story is going to have a happy ending and it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. This message really is, I think, in a sense, God putting his arms around all of our Grace family uh, moms and just putting his arms around you today and just saying to you, it's going to be okay. Now, where do we get that truth from the Bible? Um, there is a story I want us all to really know well. Many of you know this story, and I want all of us to know it and to know it very well. It's a story out of the book of Genesis, and really the story starts in Genesis chapter 12. We have to really begin the story with a man by the name of Abram, whom God renames Abraham. 
And if you remember, Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. And Jacob's name is changed by God to Israel. And Jacob, Israel, has 12 sons, and they become the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, one of these sons, one of these 12 sons of Israel, of Jacob, his name is Joseph. Now, Joseph has two dreams. Now, in both of these dreams, his 11 brothers bow down to him. In Genesis chapter 37, verse 8 says that his brothers hated him for those dreams. And in verse 11, it says that they were jealous of him. So the day finally came when they could actually go ahead and vent their rage and their hatred against their brother Joseph. And Jacob, the father, sends Joseph out to check on his brothers. And while Joseph is coming to his brothers, here's what they say. In Genesis 37, verse 19 and 20. And they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Now then, come let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And we will say, a beast has devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. Well, Reuben tries to save Joseph, his brother, but his attempt is only really partially successful because they end up selling Joseph to a caravan of Ishmaelites who are headed to Egypt with the plan of selling him as a slave. So the brothers then keep his special coat. Remember the coat of many colors that Joseph had? They keep it. They soak it in animal blood. They bring it to their father to convince him that a wild beast has devoured his son whom he loves so much. Now, at this point in the story, I want to just stop. And I want you just to imagine that you are Joseph in this story. I want you to imagine that you are traveling now with this caravan of Ishmaelites on your way to Egypt. You're traveling through a desert. You're traveling. You are sunburned. You are parched. You are so thirsty. You're on your way to be sold as a slave. Now put yourself there for just a moment. Now I want you to imagine that somebody in that caravan walks up to you, puts their arm around you and says, don't worry, it's going to be okay. What would you think at that point? Well, let's go back into the story because the story goes on. Now, Joseph gets to Egypt, and he is bought by Potiphar, who is an officer of Pharaoh. He's the captain of the guard, and he buys Joseph as his house slave. Now, Joseph serves Potiphar faithfully, and because his faithful service was such a good attitude and great integrity, he rises in his trust and influence in Potiphar's household. Now, Potiphar's wife is quite taken by Joseph, and she tries to seduce him. But Joseph actually flees her passionate grasp, and this spurned woman becomes vicious about this, and she lies about Joseph and says that he tried to rape her. So now, in spite of his righteousness, Joseph is now put into prison. Now, again, let's pause the story. You're Joseph. 
You're now in prison. You've done nothing wrong. You've done nothing to deserve this. You're just sitting there now in prison. Now I want you to imagine another prisoner walks over to you and he puts his arm around you. He says, don't worry. It's going to be okay. Not only for you, but for those who matter to you. So what would you think at that point? Well, the story goes on. Now, while in prison, Joseph, again, totally unaware of what God is doing in all of his misery, again, he maintains a good attitude. He maintains his integrity. He serves the jailer now faithfully to such a degree that the jailer trusts him and trusts his faithfulness and begins to give him more and more responsibility in the jail. Well, while in prison, he interprets the dream of the jailed cupbearer of Pharaoh. And the dream is that the cupbearer is going to actually be released from prison, is going to rise back to his high place as advisor and cupbearer to Pharaoh. And Joseph just says one more thing before the cupbearer is freed because his dream comes true. He says, please remember me when you get back into your place of authority and you can talk to Pharaoh and get me out of here. Well, the cupbearer does get out just like Joseph had prophesied out of his dream that he would. And he is back in this great position of authority and influence with Pharaoh. And he totally forgets about Joseph. So now Joseph is sitting for two more years unjustly in prison. Again, let's stop the story. Again, you're Joseph. You're sitting in prison for two more years. Two years unjustly because the cupbearer couldn't remember. While sitting there, Somebody walks over to you again in the prison, in the jail, and he puts an arm around you and says, don't worry. Taps you on the shoulder, pats you, says, it's going to be okay. Not only for you, but for those who matter to you. So what would you think now at that point in the story? Well, the story goes on. So Pharaoh has a dream now, and he's greatly distressed about the dream he's having. And he confides in the cupbearer about his dream. At that point, the cupbearer has his memory jogged. He remembers Joseph, the man who has a special gift back in prison of interpreting dreams from God. And so he tells Pharaoh about this man named Joseph. So Pharaoh calls on him to come out of the prison. Joseph comes to Pharaoh and he interprets his dream. God gives him the ability to interpret it. And Pharaoh is so taken by this young man, this gifted man, and he's so taken by his wisdom, he just sees it in him that he's compelled to take him out of prison and to bring him into his court. In fact, he's so compelled by his wisdom that he puts Joseph as second in command in Egypt to administrate all the things that are coming. 
In fact, in Genesis chapter 41, verse 40, here's what it says. Pharaoh says, you shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. So then seven years of plenty are followed by seven years of famine in the land of Egypt, just as Joseph said would happen. And Joseph preempts starvation in Egypt by gathering huge reserves of grain during those seven good years and stores it up for the seven years of famine. All right, now stop there. Let's stop the story again. So again, you're Joseph at this point, and things are going well. I mean, you're second most powerful man in the world at this point. And someone walks over to you in Pharaoh's court and says, hey, it looks like everything turned out okay for you and for those who matter to you. And Joseph says, well, wait a minute. For those who matter to me? So let's go back into the story. Well, eventually, Joseph's brothers hear that there is grain in Egypt. And they go to Egypt for help. Now, they don't recognize their brother at first. But, of course, he recognizes them. And he eventually reveals himself to them. Now, understand, he was 17 years old when his brothers sold him into slavery. And now when his brothers, when he reveals himself to his brothers, he's 39 years old. 22 years have now gone by. 22 years of a lot of pain, a lot of confusion. But through it all, Joseph continued to trust God and obey God and love God, even when he didn't understand what in the world God was doing. So now his brothers are standing before him in Egypt, the second most powerful man in the world. And you know they got to be stunned. They are stunned. They tried to get rid of the dreamer. Think about this. And in getting rid of him, they fulfilled his dream. The brothers are now bowing down at last to Joseph, like he dreamt when he was 17. Well, eventually he invites them to come and live in Egypt, take all of Israel and bring them to Egypt so they can live, so they can have food. Now, the Bible actually goes on to describe for us what the activity of God was during all of this time. In fact, first of all, Genesis 45, verse 5, Joseph says to his brothers who are afraid of him, as you can imagine, in his place of power, his brothers say to, he says to his, his brothers, Joseph says to his brothers this, and now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. So the first way the Bible describes what happened is that, that it was actually God's way of sending Joseph to Egypt in order to preserve the lives of his people. Well, we also read the same thing in Psalm 
105, verse 16 and 17. And here what's interesting is we see that it isn't only God who is overruling the sinful actions of these brothers to accomplish his higher purposes. But God is actually also the one who sent the famine. Let's read it. Psalm 105, verse 16 and 17 says, And he, talking about God, and he called for a famine upon the land. He broke the whole staff of bread, which simply means he cut off their supply of bread. He sent God. He sent a man before them. God sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Now look at this passage. God called for the famine, and God sent Joseph. So again, we got to put you know, out of our minds this idea that God just foresaw the famine happening, and that, was, that it was something that just happened or Satan was doing. Actually, the text says that God summoned the famine. God called for it. And God also prepared the deliverance. He sent Joseph to be in that place. So the second way the Bible describes this prophecy is seen when his brothers come before Joseph again. This time they come after the death of their father, and they are very afraid that at this point Joseph may take revenge. Genesis 50, verse 19 and 20. Watch this. And Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? And as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. So the brothers meant the sale of Joseph for evil. That's what they meant it for. But God meant it for good. So what, what man designs or what evil demons, the devil design for evil, God overrules and designs for some great good for his people. Now the great good mentioned in Genesis 45 verse 5 is to preserve life. And the great good mentioned in Genesis 50, verse 20, is to bring, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are here today. So the story has a happy ending. Everything really does turn out okay, and not only for Joseph, but for those who mattered to Joseph and mattered to God. And this essentially is the Old Testament version of Romans 8.28 which says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All things. So this is God's word to all you moms out there. It's going to be okay. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you are sovereign and you are good and you are so much more in control of everything going on than we think. That, Lord, you are at work in all kinds of ways we don't see. 
that you are orchestrating and disposing of all kinds of events in our lives and around us for some great good. And we can trust you because we belong to you. We love you. We're called according to your purpose. And we have this great confidence that it's going to be okay. Never runs out.